This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. Hey, what's up, Jason? Not a whole lot. You know, um, unfortunately, uh, some sad news. Um, Wes Unseld, the legendary uh, Washington Bullet, uh, Baltimore Bullet as well, of course, um, one of the probably capital the greatest bullets. players capital in that too. Yeah. <laughs> let us not forget the capital bullets yeah. i i would never forget the capital bullets he has uh, passed away at age uh, 73 he was or 74 excuse me mm-hmm. um just had turned 74 um and um you know he was one of you know it, it was an era in which you know the the nba and the pro basketball world with the aba was very very unsettled just you know so much turmoil so many new teams so many new faces so many so much changing around um you know social change all that but you know Wes Unseld was a stable star in an era of instability absolutely yeah and, and we're going to talk a lot about his, his career and the, and the and sort of the the stuff he did but yeah one, one of our most fascinating things and one of my favorite things that we ever did uh, in over and back was you know the basketball mysteries of the 1970s and and we talked a lot about West Unsell we talked a lot about the the bullets and we talked a lot about that era in general and that entire decade which just weirdly I don't want to say lost to history but just not represented very well I mean you got Wilt and Russell right. and everybody knows about that and then you just kind of go hey Magic and Bird hey here we go and it's right. like wait a minute hold on there was ten years there that you just completely missed and it's a, it's a weird decade because there's a lot of champions. There's not really one dominant team. Yeah, you have Kareem there, but like he's not winning the title every single year. Like you kind of assume he should be. You got the Bullets and the Sonics win titles. Like the Suns are contending. The ABA is here. It's just a very weird decade. That again, yeah, most basketball when you talk to people, it it it, it feels like yeah, Russell Wilt. Then yeah, yeah, Magic Bird. <laughs> it's like oh, oh right. wait, 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 wait. Let, yeah. let, let's talk about this decade and and Wes Unseld. You know, even though the numbers aren't too gaudy, and we'll talk about him here a little bit, is arguably one of the biggest figures in that in in that 1970s and those Bullets teams. You know, I think don't get enough credit for being 
in the finals as many times as they were and being as dominant of a team as they were. I know even I was a little bit surprised when when today they said, hey, Wes Unseld passed away. And, you know, he was in the NBA Finals four times. And I'm like, wait a minute, four times, really? And then you do the math, and you're like, oh, yeah, he was, in, he was in the Finals four times in the 70s. Like, that's tremendous. That's a huge accomplishment. But for whatever reason, that entire era and that entire decade is just kind of not forgotten, but just sort of underappreciated or whatever. And, like, yeah, you're right. It was just a, a, a time of a crazy turmoil in, in professional basketball. Right, and it's it's an era that's hard to parse. I think it's just it, it's an era that's it's hard to like easily define in a few words. Where the other the preceding eras, you know, you um, it's it, I think it's easier because you know the focus is on a small number of teams who won a lot of championships and a small number of stars. Where you know, like I said, the the, um, the number of great era defining players who were winning championships every year. Wasn't really there in the seventies, yeah. um, but you know, until you know, came extremely close. He's not quite at the level of star of you know some of the other greats of all time. Although he did make the you know top fifty um, all time greatest list in nineteen ninety six. Um, you know, he was uh, only one of two players other than Will Chamberlain to be MVP and Rookie of the Year in the same year in nineteen sixty nine. Um, really uh, impressive accomplishment. And he, uh, well, somebody has to have this uh, this mark, but he averaged 13.8 points per game, 18.2 rebounds, which is the lowest points per game average for any MVP in history. Right, and some people might see that as a negative, and I absolutely get it why you'd be like, oh, geez, this is a negative. But I, I find that the exact opposite. I find it as an absolute positive of like, that just shows how tremendous he was and, and, and how much he influenced that team. And, I mean, the team made a huge, huge turnaround in, in, in the one year that he was there. I mean, he comes in, they win 57 games, they make the playoffs for the first time in that entire franchise's history. And prior year to that, 36 wins. So, I mean, he he, he obviously was a guy who, who tremendously changed around that entire franchise, uh, influenced them in a ton of ways. And, you know, whether or not you want to give it equal credit to what I, I mean, it doesn't matter. I'm MVP and rookie of the year in the same year. I mean, nobody besides Wilt has ever done that. And there's been a lot of great players that joined the NBA and a lot of players that were good right off the bat. And, and none of them reached those highs. And, and yeah, some people might see that as a negative that he scored, you know, only that amount of points of games in, in his MVP season. I see it exactly the opposite. I see it as, well, look how th- th- you couldn't deny him despite the fact that he wasn't just prolific scorer and, 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 you know, a, a guy that really affected the game in that way, but just that he affected the game in so many other ways, the points, uh, the assists, the outlet passes. That's what we'll talk about a lot. This, this, you know, episode as well, that maybe he didn't get a lot of credit, um, when you look at his assist numbers, they're not super gaudy, but then you watch highlights of Wes Unseld, and every single highlight is him getting a rebound, tossing the ball halfway down the court, and a, a point being scored immediately after that. And, you know, whether or not the scorers were, were properly scoring assists or, or whatever, it doesn't matter. I mean, he, he clearly influenced the game in, 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 in so many different ways. And, and yeah, he, uh, I, 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 you know, again, I don't see it as a negative that, that he only scored, you know, 13 points a game in his, his MVP season. Because, and, and, and I will say this as well. He's a guy that if you look at his high school, you look at his college numbers, a guy that could score and, and, and if he needed to, had the ability to score. But but I think largely, and again, you watch those highlights and you see a guy who, who realized that maybe I don't need to be the top scorer. Maybe I don't need to be that guy. Kind of in the mold of a Bill Russell. Bill Russell could probably have scored 24 points a game if he really wanted to, but kind of said, you know what, I'll get a rebound, I'll start the fast break, we'll win a bunch of games. Who cares? We'll win a championship. We'll go to the NBA Finals four times uh, in the decade. So that's something that's always uh, pretty cool. Uh, about Wes Unsell. And, and, and real quickly, before we get into some of his NBA career as well, uh, an interesting note that I was I kind of learned about today, believe it or not, is uh, University of Kentucky. Adolf Roop was the, uh, the the coach for, for many, many years in Kentucky. Uh, the first black player, I guess it's relevant, you know, anecdote especially to, to today as, as, you know, all this stuff going on in, uh, in the world today. The first black player ever recruited by Kentucky um, as well. And there was also the note, too, that 
uh, West, they, they kind of said, hey, if you have a friend that's also black that would like to play at Kentucky, that'd be great too because he needed a roommate because it was like, all right, well, you can't just have one black guy come to Kentucky. Then right. what's he going to do? Right. Who's he going to stay with? Where's he going right. to go? And all that sort of yeah. stuff. And it's just like, oh my God, you think about it. And you're like, what decade is this? And it's like, you know, then, you know, today's things go on and you're like, oh, well, geez. Like, sure. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't it's, it's, changed all that much. So. I mean, it seems like a long time ago, but obviously it wasn't that long ago. Right, and, right, right. You know, the, the, the progress that we've made um, is, is fleeting for, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, you, talking about his skills, I mean, he was definitely, you know, other than the outlet passing, not really a flashy player, um, you know, really known for, you know, setting great screens, for, you know, being a really good defender. You know, he was undersized for a center at, he was listed at 6'7". I guess he was actually closer to 6'6", but he was extremely burly. Um, able to punish his opponents, known for, you know, strong picks, uh, very quick hands, great anticipation, just, uh, you know, one of these guys who was more of a star role player um, who, you know, you could be, you know, one of these guys who was you know, one of the greatest players in NBA history, despite not really scoring. And early on in his career, he did score more. I mean, he averaged his first five seasons, he averaged close to 15 points per game, averaged around 17 uh, rebounds per game. So, um, was scoring fine. And then later on in his career, um, he dealt with injuries. You know, he teamed with Elvin Hayes, um, starting in 72 Hayes, obviously, uh, uh, pretty famous for liking to score. Um, also Phil Chenier also, you know, likes, likes, you know, took a lot of shots too. So, um, he took a, you know, more of a role, I, I think, you know, part of it probably just because of, you know, the fitting around his teammates, part of it probably because, you know, he famously had really bad knees and, you know, probably uh, focused on other things um, because the scoring probably was a little bit more challenging for him. But uh, yeah, again, his career numbers, 10.8 points per game, 14 rebounds per game, 3.9 assists per game, you know, don't really stand out. um, But, you know, it seemed like more statistical profile. They're very different players, but statistical profile, Dikembe Mutombo kind of for the first side seasons of his career, and then a little bit more Ben Wallace ish again stats wise. He even later in his career he scored more than Ben Ben Wallace did, but kind of in that vein, I think in the past, you know, the last seven eight years of his career. But you know, one thing that he did, you know, the advanced stats, you know, limited for what they were. If you look at box score plus minus, you look at like seventy five to eighty one, which is the back half of his career. If you if you sort by guys, you know, about seven thousand minutes, guys who played multiple seasons during that time. He's 14th in the league in, in box for plus minus, which, you know, again, second half of his career, you know, it's not, not tracked before 74. That's, that's pretty impressive to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's, he's a guy you mentioned like guys like Dikembe Mutombo, uh, Ben Wallace type. I see him in the same vein as, as, you know, and, and Ben Wallace, I, I think those are perfect. Draymond Green, I, I think as well, a guy that kind of sure. fills yeah. in, you know, fills in the gaps there. I know a lot of people like him to Charles Barkley. I think Charles is a little bit different because Charles was such an influential figure on, on the offensive end. But oh, Wes yeah. kind of fits that same mold, too, where, like, you look at his body, you look at his, his stature, you know, 6'7 is what he was listed at. But I think even he would say, ah, I'm, like, you know, 6'6 six, six or a little under than that. But you right. see this is the guy that, that could make the most out of out of that body you know whatever it whatever it is and and that's a tremendous thing and like that, that to me the guys that I think of initially are, are you, like you said you're like your Ben Wallace types and your Draymond Green types guys that really don't look the part 
of whatever position they're playing, but are just so skilled and so crafty and so good that they can do that. And 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 those guys are are, are two guys as well that the stats don't really maybe tell the whole story. The, the basic stats, the points per game, the rebounds per game, the assists per games, maybe don't tell the entire story. But then when you dig a little bit deeper and look at the value, the box plus minus, all that sort of stuff, you see the value that they have. And yeah, Wes, even though you know he wasn't scoring. To, to super high levels in the last half of his career, you you look at those box plus minus numbers, and you look at even value of a replacement player, and you see that he was still affecting the game in so many different ways as well without even having to score I, even double digits. I mean, the last half of his career right. basically doesn't score double digits and and is still leading this team in, in, in a lot of different categories and leading the team uh, to unprecedented success. So, yeah, it, it, it's really cool to have a player that was that good but didn't have to you know necessarily do it on the scoring end. And, and, and there, there are so few players – uh, in the league ever that that have affected the game as well as West did without scoring a ton. So sure, sure, absolutely, yeah. And he, you know, he, his quote from the Washington Post, uh, he was asked once about his modest stats. He stats. He replied, "It's not my job to look good. It's my job to make other people look good." And that's definitely something that you know his teammates all talked about. How you know that he was really a, a great guy to play with. He was a quiet leader. You know, wasn't um, he was a tough guy, but you know, doesn't I, I couldn't find any anecdotes about like fights or about him, you know, being mean or, or being aggressive or whatever. He was just a guy who, you know, played tough but didn't need to be a tough guy, you know, so to speak. Um, but you know, some other accomplishments in his career, five time all star. Um, oddly, uh, we talked about this in a previous episode. He um is one of a handful of players who only who made the all NBA uh, first team once and then never made an all NBA team again. In fact, of course he did that in his rookie season, yeah. the same year he was MVP. Um, he's 13th all time in career rebounds in ABA NBA history, uh, seventh in rebounds per game overall, 24th in total rebound percentage. If you for better cross era comparison, uh, third all time in rebounds per game in the playoffs um, to uh, Bill Russell and Chamberlain, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, as we talked about, he led the Bullets to four finals appearances in nine years, including three appearances in five years. And he was the finals MVP in their 1978 title win. Um, he... Um, made the playoffs 12 straight years after the team had never had a winning season before he um, got there first beginning as an expansion team um, in 62 in Chicago before moving to Baltimore and becoming the bullets. And uh, as we had noted in a previous episode, his teams won three pennants regular season, uh, best records uh, in his career. Yeah. I, I did misspeak a little bit earlier when I said the bullets had never made a, a, a the playoffs in their franchise history. What I meant to say is they never had a winning record in their franchise history. They had, right. they had, yeah. they had made the, the playoffs in the, in the late sixties, but you know, they had 38 and 42 and then 37 and 43, you know, those, right. those classic, yeah. you know, under 500 playoff teams. But yeah, when, when he comes in uh, immediately gets the team up to 57 wins and then they were pretty much there. I mean, pretty much the entire time he was a, a player there, 57 wins, 50, 42, you know, a, a brief fall there, uh, 38, 52, 47, 60, 48, 48, 44. I mean, really the entire time he was there, 54, uh, you know, the, the, the year in 1979. So pretty much the entire time he was there. And, and, and you can also look at it too, you know, by the time he's kind of winding down, that team is kind of winding down and that franchise is winding down. And um, I mean... The proof is in the pudding there. I mean, they have not been to an NBA final since then. So, uh, yeah. you know, and I don't think they've really even – have they come even particularly close? I'm trying to remember if they've even – I don't even think they made a conference finals at that point. They haven't. No, they have not even made a conference finals uh, since once Unsold uh, left the team. So, I mean, that's – he's – I mean, best player in, in that franchise's history. I think we can pretty safely say that, right? I, um, yeah, I think Hayes, you know, maybe has a case. here. Hayes um, probably – I would say Unsold probably slightly ahead, but it's close. But – um. 
but yeah, uh, definitely th- those two stand out way above anybody else um, who's ever played for uh, the franchise. And uh, yeah, you, talking about kind of you know, just the fact that the team won um, so much with him there, pretty much the entire his entire career there. Uh, Curtis Harris wrote a profile of um, Wes, our, our good friend uh, Curtis Harris at Pro Hoops History. Uh, wrote in 2013 that um, you know prior to Unselled joining there, they had a 364 winning percentage. Uh, with Unselled there from 69 to 81, they had a 580 winning percentage. And then after Unselled up until 2013, they only had a 408 winning percentage. And since 2013, not a whole lot better. Just two games over 500. So that that isn't exactly a you know they, they haven't accomplished a lot um, since then. So yeah, I mean definitely by far the best uh, you know. Um, era that they had in Frederick's history is, you know, basically his career. And yeah, you can kind of split his career into, I think three, you know, three stages. Um, and, you know, other than um, his final year, they made the playoffs every year. Um, you know, they only had uh, one losing season up until, you know, the, the end of his career when he had obviously aged. Um, and that was a year that they had, you know, a bunch of injuries, but yeah, mm-hmm. just, you know, winning was, uh, you know, pretty much a constant in his career. And they, you know, they had some excellent teams, uh, some very good teams and some excellent teams during that time. Yeah. And I think it, it speaks to it. We'll talk about it a little bit that, that, you know, he was such an important figure in that franchise's history that pretty much until, you know, a few years ago, they wouldn't let that dude leave. <laughs> you know what I mean? He was, right. he was a part of that intertwined with it, whether he was a coach, whether he was a GM, whether he was a front office, whether he was an ambassador, whatever, like that he became synonymous with this franchise. And, and, and we've touched on it in many episodes uh, prior as well, but like certain franchises feel like they don't have a foothold. And, and this is the Washington franchise is kind of one of them. You go from being the Baltimore bullets, you're the capital bullets, you're the Washington bullets. Oh, okay. Now you're actually the, you know, the, the, the Washington wizards. It's just like, for whatever reason, that franchise doesn't feel, even though they, they do have a legacy. I mean, they've been around for, for many, many years and had success o- over the course of many, many years, but for whatever reason, they don't feel, you know what I mean? Like they don't, feel like they yeah. have like uh uh you know any sort of i don't know they just don't seem to have a foothold but west seemed to be that connection that, that that franchise always made of like okay look yeah we've changed names we've changed locations we've changed you know this sort of stuff but west is the one constant throughout this all is, is west unselt's been here with us you know fr- from you know not necessarily the beginning but the beginning of our real success uh as an nba franchise and and yeah despite all those turbulent changes it always felt like he was the constant in in that washington franchise which yeah, is, is desperately in need of, of, of some sort of, you know, historical identity that they don't really have. Right. So looking kind of at, you know, just a high level of his career, um, you know, the, of course, he joins the Baltimore Bullets in the 1969 season. Uh, the team um, has um, has Earl Monroe, uh, who's in the second year, their star point guard. Uh, Gus Johnson, Jack Marin, Fred Carter, Kevin Lockery, and then and later Archie Clark. So. Um, you know, really good, so- solid group of role players, um, along with, you know, Unseld and Monroe. And immediately in 69, um, Unseld as the only major new face of that team. Uh, they have a 21 game improvement. They win 57 games. Uh, they, they have the best record in the East. Um, he is, as we said, the MVP and the rookie of the year that year. They, in terms of SRS, they were not quite as uh, strong that year and they, um, were, surprise uh loss to the um uh to the knicks that year um they were swept in fact by the uh, knicks um in that series of course the knicks were very much on the uh same path with um 
you know, Willis Reed had just gotten uh, Dave DeBusher and had young stars like, uh, you know, Walt Frazier uh, and Bill Bradley, you know, the, these two franchises that had been, you know, pretty much a joke for most of the 60s were finally emerging roughly um, at the same time. And they would battle consistently in the playoffs um, every year for the um, the, the next uh, six years. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's really cool. And yeah, this is the first of, you know, back-to-back years, and, and we'll touch on it here a little bit, back-to-back years where, where you know, the Bullets franchise feels like they got things together and then the Knicks get in the way and, and uh, it'll be, you know, cathartic in 1971 when they do finally beat them. But yeah, it is interesting to see these two teams kind of rising up at the same time. And, and, and I guess that's also one of the issues with, with Unseld's career, which, you know, of course we'll, we'll, we'll discuss here, you know, moving forward is that a lot of the times when like it, you feel like it's his time to like come up or be ready or whatever. There's somebody in the way. Okay. It's the Knicks now they're rising. Okay. Fears later, he's ready to go. They beat the Knicks. They beat the Sixers. They're ready for the finals. Oh, here's Kareem with Jabbar. <laughs> it's like, Oh yeah. Oh, Kareem, he, Kareem's yeah. better than he is. Yeah. So that's not going to work. And then it, it isn't really until, you know, and, and, and again, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it here in a bit, but it's not until like a decade later when he finally breaks through. But at that point, he doesn't feel like to many people, maybe like the top guy on that team, but then he proves it, you know, with the finals MVP or whatever. But yeah, that, that he did seem a little snake bit in that way where like there was always felt like there was somebody overshadowing his, his accomplishments as somebody that was always a little bit better or had a little bit more accomplishments than he did in a certain year. And it starts with this first year where he wins rookie of the year, wins MVP surprise team. And then they just, you know, don't win a game against the Knicks, you know, in the playoffs. And, and, and yeah, this would become unfortunately a little bit of a trend. Sure. Yeah, the the next year, 1970, uh, 50 wins, but they again fall to the Knicks. This time in seven games. This is the uh, the Knicks in um, the, the championship year for the Knicks for their first championship. Uh, definitely a, uh, you know, the Bulls gave them a tough series um, and, uh, you know, continue that, um, continue that rivalry. Um, 1971, things change a lot for um, the, or the, you know, the, they, the, this team, they deal with a lot of injuries that year. They only um, go 42 and 40, but they have a great run in the playoffs. They're able to upset the Knicks in the Eastern Conference Finals in seven games. Um, in fact, Unsell had 17 points and 20 rebounds in the Game 7 win, 93-91, to um, put the Knicks in the Finals. But unfortunately, as you talked about, they run into Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and the Nux, and the, and the Bucks, rather, uh, one of the greatest teams in NBA history up until that point. I think SRS are still, uh, yeah. you know, first or second all time um, in terms of that. And yeah, the, they, they don't have an answer for Kareem. Although, you know, um, until definitely played Kareem tough in his career, despite, you know, the, um, the height difference, you know, as, as we, as we said, Unseld was able to, um, you know, use his might. I know you, um, before the show, you talked about watching Unseld highlights and how, you know, he really seemed to just have that, knack for jumping at exactly the right time to get the rebounds yeah it was you know i was kind of watching some highlights before we got ready to do this uh this show and and you know one thing that that really stood out to me is and and you see it he's not like you know he's not a dominant physical player in 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 the same way that like your will to your kareem abdul jabars or those sort of guys uh were but you always see like a shot goes up and you're like ah how is this a highlight for west unsub like you know everybody else jumps up and they're all ready to get the rebound or whatever and then out of nowhere, here comes, you know, West Unsell with his arm, just kind of ready at the right time, pops the ball up, scores the basket. Or a bunch of these guys jump up, and all of a sudden, here comes West Unsell out of the middle of them, jumps up, grabs the rebound, starts a fast break. It it, it, it was kind of remarkable, and I, 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 you know, I implore a lot of people to, 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 you know, when you're listening to this episode and when you're done with this episode, just search, you know, West Unsell on YouTube. You'll, you'll find a lot of the same clips that I was able to find, and you'll see just how 
remarkable his timing was. And that's something that we talked about, you know, with the last dance episode with, you know, Dennis Rodman, where he talked about how the art of rebounding, and it's not just about jumping high and, 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 and getting the ball before anybody else. It's about knowing when the ball is going to bounce, knowing how the ball is going to bounce, knowing when the ball is going to reach the apex, when you need to jump at the right time or whatever. And Rodman was an, an artist at that, you know, it, despite not being the tallest guy in, in, you know, on the court or, or Charles Barkley, another one as well, who wasn't physically dominant, but always felt like he was getting rebounds over people that, that probably should have gotten rebounds over him. It's all about the timing. It's all about knowing when the ball is going to come off, knowing when to jump, knowing the right time to jump, all that sort of stuff. And and yeah, watching those highlights of Wes Unseld, it was incredible to see him, even against guys like Kareem. Kareem's got the position, ready to go. He jumps up and here all of a sudden, the, as the ball's like you know, about to fall into Kareem's hands, here comes Wes Unseld just bopping out of nowhere, boom, you know, grabbing the ball right out of Kareem's hands and starting the fast break or something like that. And it's really cool uh, to see that. And it's, it, it, it really shows you, you know, he he shows you the art of rebounding and how it is so much more than just being physical and just being big and strong and, and positioning and all that sort of stuff. It, it, it really is an art form, and it, it's all about timing and, and, and just studying it and, and knowing where the ball is going to go. And, yeah, it was really awesome to see those highlights. Mm-hmm. So going into 72, um, in the offseason, um, Earl Monroe has a dispute with um, ownership that leads to him um, being traded after three games. So a lot of upheaval for that team. Uh, Gus Johnson's hurt. Um, Lockery and Fred Carter are traded to the um, Sixers. They do get Archie Clark. Um, but, um, you know, they're the, the only um, – the only losing season of Unseld's career up until, you know, the very end end seasons. In fact, 38 wins is the fewest wins he would ever have in the regular season, which is you know, not bad. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, they do make the playoffs. They lose to the Knicks in, in six games as well. So, um, and then kind of gets into the next era of um, Unseld's career starting in 73 um, and, their last year in Baltimore, they're um, 50 and 32 that year. Uh, they do get um, they do get Elvin Hayes in the offseason, and it helps, of course, that um, turnaround. Uh, other key players, Phil Chenier, um, who had been a rookie the previous year, Kevin Porter, uh, Mike Reardon, Archie Clark, also uh, you know there for a couple of those years. Um, but again, they run into the Knicks and they lose in, uh, in, in five games to the Knicks in the Knicks, uh, second championship team. Oh, damn Knicks. I always ruined it for everybody. <laughs> no, that's again, like we said, it's like this dumb, you know, weird thing where, where Wes is kind of seems like he's ready to go. And then, ah, it's the Knicks. Ah, it's Kareem. It, it, it the Knicks were a nemesis, man, for a few years there. He, oh, was, yeah, he was more yeah. than ready to get, uh, get those out of the way, but, uh, I don't think it's going to happen right away. So no, no. Uh, in 74, it's the last one. The um, This is the capital bullets year. Uh, Casey Jones comes in as coach replacing Gene Shu, who had been the coach for the the uh, bullets since the beginning of Unseld's career. They win 47 games. Um, uh, this is Unseld's worst statistical year as he um, battles knee injuries, only uh, 5.9 uh, points per game, which is a career low. And um, and the, uh, the bullets... Um, they uh, lose in seven to the Knicks. This is basically <sighs> the last of, you know, the the, the key Knicks. Um, you know, um, Reed had already retired. They had, they still had Frazier and Mil- Monroe and, and Bill Bradley and, and DeBusher. But, um, you know, or I guess Reed, I'm sorry, Reed did play in this series, but then I think he retired in the offseason, Lucas. You know, all those guys were basically at the, you know, 
at or near the end of their um, careers. You know, Fraser Monroe obviously had a few more years, but um, so so that was you know pretty much it in terms of the uh, battles against the Knicks. Uh, then they uh, seventy five comes along. Real quick, and, before we yeah. move on to seventy five, also the only year we mentioned the five point nine points per game. Also the only year in Weston Salt's entire career that he averaged less than ten rebounds per game. Nine point two. That right. lazy bastard. Nine point two. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but by, by playing only thirty minutes per game, like you said, missed a bunch of games. Clearly the knee affecting him, but still finds a way to still get nine point two rebounds per game. But yeah, the only time in his career. Uh, he didn't have over 10. And, and and most of his times, he wasn't even close as well. Like when we say over 10, we're talking 18, 16, 16, 17, 15, 14, 13, 11, 13, 10. You know, it, it, we're, it, he's he's up there. <laughs> it's not like he's just barely getting over 10. This is a right. Jason Kidd triple doubles here. Jason no, Kidd rebounds right. per game. Yeah, yeah. This guy is, is, is bringing in the rebounds. And yeah, thankfully, gets healthy the next year. And the Bullets are off to the races. So Yeah, yeah. Bounces back. His final All-Star year. He leads the league in rebounding. Um, and, uh, you know, the, they're able to put together together, at least in the regular season, they win uh, 60 games, which is, um, Unsell's career high. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they do great, at least at first in the playoffs, they win a tough seven game series against the, uh, against the Buffalo Braves and Bob McAdoo in his MVP year. And then they beat the 60 win Celtics game in Celtics in six games. But then go to the finals and they are swept again, this time in a, in a very big shock against the underdog Warriors um, in the finals. It was weird because every game in that series was was pretty close. Yeah. And Unsell had a great finals. He averaged 12.3 points per game, 16.8 rebounds per game, you know, really um, stood out in those finals. But, um, yeah, the uh, not a good year for um, – or not a good finals for the Bolts anyway. Um, no, and, yeah. Uh, two two yeah. games. Two games decided by one point. Game two, 92-91 right. Warriors. Game four, of course, a very famous game in NBA history. Uh, 96-95 Warriors get the win and, and, and win the title. So it's like, again, they're so close. And even though games they lose, they're like, you know, they're losing by four. They're losing by one. It's it's heartbreaking. Yeah, another time when, when it feels like it's all together. It feels like they're ready to go. And then, yeah, all of a sudden here comes the Golden State Warriors. Here comes Rick Barry. Uh, and they just blow them out of the water and, and 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 sweep the series and and you know in today's NBA there's no way that these guys get to get another chance after this it's like all right pack it up it's all done Wes you're over here Elvin you're over here Shanir you're you're here sure, sure. Uh, it's awesome that these guys stuck together for all these years and and we got what you know was coming in here in the future so yeah uh, and that team also you know in addition to the guys we mentioned that uh, Nick Witherspoon uh, Truck Robinson I think was a rookie that year and came in and you know emerged. Um, Jimmy Jones of ABA fame also came in. So, uh, you know, f- fun team, you know, and, and uh, it obviously underachieved in the finals, but was, you know, was a, a great team uh, to watch uh, the next year. Still a good team, 48 and uh, 34, but then another heartbreaking loss in seven games. This time uh, the miracle at Richfield uh, losing to uh, Cleveland in the Eastern conference semifinals, another upset loss. Yeah. So they're in some famous games in NBA history. Unfortunately, they're, uh, appear to be on the opposite end of of, of most of those. Yeah, they're, they're the they're the footnote in a lot of really big games. The Miracle in Richfield, the Golden State Warriors Miracle upset, Kareem's coronation, the the Knicks, and it's like, yeah, there's the bullets. They're they're there too. <laughs> That's just, yeah. yeah, it's absolutely unfortunately at this point. And that, and that you know we talked about at the beginning of the episode that might be another reason why this franchise and West Unsell in, in in general as well don't feel like despite the one championship they don't feel like they really belong to any era. They don't feel like they're really you know 
appreciated historically because all these other notes in history, they're the other team. They're on the floor while all this other stuff right. is happening, and, 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 and very rarely does it become them. And when it eventually does become them, which, again, we'll touch on here in a moment, when it does become them, it's kind of like, ah, yeah, whatever, who cares? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's during probably one of the NBA's maybe lowest points uh, in their history is when they finally achieve the, the, the dream that they've been trying to go for for so many years. Sure. Yeah, just the, the attention wasn't there in the league, obviously, in that time for the reasons we've discussed. But uh, then – Starting a new era, 1977 through 1981, the Fat Lady Sings. Um, of course, the key players of this era, uh, beyond Unseld, are still Hayes and Chenier. Bob Dandridge comes over as a uh, free agent um, and immediately leads the team to big success. Also, they develop other young players like Tom Henderson, Mitch Kupchak, and Kevin Grevy. Um Bob Ferry was the uh, general manager for these teams. He had a pretty impressive track record of building some uh, nice teams, at least um, at least for a while. So, uh, father of Danny Ferry as well. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 77, you know, um, they win 48 games again. They hired Dick Mata, who had been the Bulls coach um, in the offseason, fire Casey Jones. Um and uh, they bring in Dave Bing, who of course had been a star for this star for the the uh, Pistons. It was near the end of his career, but still was a stout scorer. Though the fit wasn't great there, um, they end up beating Cleveland in the first round in a three game series. But then they fall to um, Houston, who was then in the Eastern Conference um, in what is uh, essentially Moses Malone's coming out party for the NBA, as he was really dominant in that series against the uh, Bullets front line. Uh, kind of talk during the off season, like, okay, maybe it's time to split up, um, Hayes and unselled Hayes was, um, personality wise could be a challenge. People sometimes uh, didn't always uh, care for, uh, how he acted or, you know, at least, you know, from the media. So there are often calls to trade him, but, um, they end up sticking with it in 78. Doesn't look good from the regular season. Only went 41, 44 games, but in the playoffs, they make a huge run. Uh, they end up facing um, off against the Seattle Sonics in the um, in the NBA Finals after having beaten uh, the George Irvin led San Antonio Spurs and Julius Irving led 76ers. Pretty stout um, series there, and they are able to beat the Sonics in uh, seven games. Uh, we've talked about this uh, series on uh, this team before, but uh, and of course Dick Mata. Um, creates the famous motto of a, it ain't over till the fat lady sings. Yeah. It's, it's a remarkable team because yeah, you mentioned the 44 wins I mean, you look at the other peripheral numbers and it's like, this is like not that great of a team. <laughs> like, you know, the seven, you know, seventh in the league in points per game, 12th in the league in opponent points per game, SRS, they're seventh in the league. They're 0.82 SRS. Like you're, you're thinking, right. well, yeah. what the hell, you know, offensive rating 10th in the league, defensive rating ninth in the league. You're like, all right, well, good little team, you know, nice little playoff team. And they make right. this miracle run. Like after all these years of dominance in the regular season, all these years where it looks like, oh, this is the best team or, oh man, this is the team to beat. This was not the team to beat. And then it ended up being the championship year, which is, you know, I guess another weird thing about, you know, West Unseld and, and the Bullets. Uh, as well as that, the one year they finally did it was like the year where probably people least expected them to do it. Right. Yeah. And obviously they were getting older. They were in their early 30s when, you know, guys start to decline, especially in that era. And I was like, oh, is this ever going to happen? And then finally, you know, it happens. Um, Unseld wins the finals MVP nine points per game. 11.7 rebounds per game, 3.9 assists per game. In game seven, he is uh, 15, 9, and 6 and hits a couple of clutch free throws to uh, seal the game. Uh, 79 regular season, kind of the last uh, stand for the team. They actually are a lot better in the regular season, winning 54 games. Um, they were uh, first in the East, I believe, certainly first in their division. 
Um, then they have two tough seven-game series against the Hawks and the Spurs, who were then in the East. In fact, they overcame a 3-1 lead against the uh, Spurs to um, win in the conference finals. But then uh, they match up against Seattle again, but this time Seattle is fairly dominant and the uh, Bullets win in five games. And then 80-81, they win 39 uh they win 39 games each season as you know teams age and injuries um, catch up. The 81 season, until the last, was the only time in his career that he did not make the playoffs. Yeah, and and you could see it winding down at this point too, and you can see the end of this franchise really in, in a lot of ways. I mean, a lot of the, the the same guys are are still largely there, but yeah, you're starting to get the next group of of, of bullets in there. I know Rick Mahorn as uh, a rookie in that final year. Uh, Wes Matthews, I know, comes in the league at that at, at that time as well. But yeah, at, at this point, it was kind of over. Elvin Hayes is, is you know twelve years into his career; he's pretty well done. And and Unsell and, and Hayes were in the same draft class as well. In picks right. one and two, one and two, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're they're both you know unfortunately winding down their careers at the exact same time. It's not like you can say, okay, well Unsell's gone, but we still have Hayes. And it's like, no, these guys are aging at the exact same you know uh, point. And it's cool because you got their peaks at the exact same time, you got the rise at the exact same time. But unfortunately, the falls kind of come at the same time too. And yeah, both these guys are starting to uh, really show their age and really starting to show that that yeah their their time is is maybe done and this franchise is is got to be looking towards the the future and and whatever that is going to be and it's it's not going to be good i'll tell you that so. no no it doesn't <laughs> go well <laughs> um hey i yeah that, that last year they had austin carr they had Mahorn, as you mentioned they had super john williamson for nine games uh that was a uh that's quite a collection of characters there uh on in that 81 uh bullets team so um, yeah, then uns- then Hayes ends up having like four more years with Houston and gets a uh, fifty fifty thousand yeah, minutes yeah. career. So yeah, <laughs> he he played a long time. Um, yeah, so you know, looking at some of the key games in um, Unsell's career, uh, he had eight uh, twenty point twenty rebound games in his, in his first season. Um, I think he had around thirty in his career, including. 21 points and 22 rebounds against Atlanta on Christmas 1968. And then on Valentine's Day 1969, 28 points, three rebounds. So, uh, I like which, his holidays. Uh, yeah, I like those yeah, holidays. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I'm a big fan of those. Um, December 2nd, 69, he sets a career high with 30 points, also 21 rebounds um, against the Royals. In fact, that's one of three 2020 games that he had in um, eight days during that time. So, I mean, definitely he had a, a, a flurry. I mean, he never scored more than 30 points a game, which which kind of surprised me a little bit. I mean, I, I would have thought he would have had, you know, a handful uh, that were higher than that, even though I obviously he's not super known for scoring. But, um but yeah, but definitely the, the, those first three years, he does have a lot of, you know, big, you know, 20, 20, 25, 25 type type games before, you know, slowing down as the scoring average slows down. Yeah. It, it, and, and again, we said like a lot of his, a lot of what, you know, worked for that bullet team at the time too, was their, their, their pace. I mean, they played at a very, very high pace. They were either, you know, first or second in the league, you know, his first two years and, and, and stayed in the top half of the league a lot of those years as well. And, and, and that, you know, with that comes a guy who, you know, sometimes can score, but sometimes again, like we said, you know, get a rebound and immediately pass the ball up and, and, and start the fast break or whatever. And yeah, that's going to always affect your numbers, but you do see those games sometimes and, and, and you go through as, especially his rookie year and his first few years, uh, those soaring explosions were there and you, you see that, you know, had the team maybe changed a little bit, or if he had said, Hey, no, 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 slow down, let me get down, let me score that sort of stuff that, that maybe he would have had higher, you know, numbers, but it's cool that, you know, we even had the quote where he said like, ah, that stuff doesn't really matter to me all that much. I just want to win. And, and, and it's cool to, uh, to see that. Cause he definitely, he de- definitely sacrificed, you know, some, some gaudy score 
scoring numbers for the betterment of the team. And, and we see him here where, where he's absolutely capable of doing it uh, at times. But yeah, just just see like he was he was happy deferring, uh, you know, most of, most of the time if he needed to. Yes. Um, March 29th, 1970, sets his career high with 32 rebounds. Also has nine points against the Knicks. This is game three of the Eastern Conference Finals. And also held Willis Reed in check uh, only... 12 points on uh, four or 16 uh, field goal attempts and five rebounds for Reed. So was able to um, be able to at least outshine in the matchup on that day. Of course, you know, Reed and, um, um, and Unsell, you know, had lots of battles against each other. Um, another battle against the Knicks um, on um, April 11th, 1971, he had 18 points on eight of nine shooting and 25 rebounds in a game three win against the Knicks. Of course, that being the series, the Bolts were able to win to get to the finals. Um, and then May 7th, 1975, game four in the Eastern Conference finals against Boston. Of course, the the two, the Bullets and the um, Celtics that year, both having won 60 games in the Eastern Conference. And he has 16 points, 25 rebounds and seven assists against the uh, Dave Cowens to uh, put his team in the driver's seat, putting them up three one, and eventually um, uh, leading to them winning that series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then seventy eight, we talked about already the game seven of the NBA Finals. Um, uh, Fifteen points, nine rebounds, six assists, hits the key free throws that ended up sealing the win in the, in the final minute. Um, and um, you know, I, some from the Washington Post articles, um, you know, was talking about. You know, kind of the era that um, you're talking about, of course, you know, this series and this win before game seven unselled, um, you know, spoke to his teams in the Bulls locker room. Uh, his quote was, this is my 10th year. This might be the last chance I have to win a championship. I just want everyone to know I'll be here for you today. I don't care what it is. You don't have to worry about anything. Uh, and then Dandridge said that unselled, you know, during that um during that time for that playoff run, he rode shotgun with everyone vowing that he would grab every rebound and loose ball that he could. I also policed the team at his hotel before the game, telling Mitch Kupchak to just nap in when he encountered the power forward um, getting ice. Uh, and also, you know, in addition to the clutch uh, performance here, he also had a big um, in game six again, Eastern Conference Finals against Philly. He tipped in his own missed shot with 12 seconds left to give the Bullets a, a two-point victory to win the um, Eastern Conference. So a uh, couple of clutch performances there during that playoff run. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's, you know, video of those games as well. And, and you could see, again, you know, those numbers we mentioned there, you know, 15, 9, and 6 don't really jump out at you and say, oh, my God, that guy definitely needs to be the MVP. But, you know, go and watch those games and you'll see how much he's affecting everything on the court as well. And and, and that's you know, kind of been the theme of, of everything we've talked about here is is – really you need to appreciate just how much he influenced the game and influenced everything that Washington did, despite the fact that his numbers aren't as as gaudy as they might seem, you know, on, on its face. But yeah, you watch those games, it's particularly that game seven, which is available and, and I think you can find it uh, many different places. Definitely go out. I mean, that that's a really cool game too, because like the crowd yeah. is, is just on fire for that too. I mean, the entire game, the crowd is just going nuts. You know, Seattle's hungry for a title. Washington's hungry for a title. It's just these weird teams that you're not used to seeing in the finals. It's just, I really recommend it. It's a really, really fun game to watch as well. And you'll see just how important West Unseld is, you know, despite those numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, May 6th, 1979, again, the playoffs. Game two of the Eastern Conference Finals against the Spurs. 26 points on 12 of 13 shooting, 22 rebounds. Kind of probably his last big important game of uh, his career. Um, and then um, 
January 30th, 1980, 24 points, 20 rebounds against the Pacers, his final 2020 game of his career. And then also notably against the uh, Pacers in his final season, November 14th, 1980, he made the first of two recorded three-pointers of, uh, of his career. He only played one year with a three-point <laughs> line, 1981. Both of them happened at Indiana in separate games. Um, so three-point attempt records are spotty in 1980, but he only had one other recorded attempt, which was a miss against the Bulls, which means that, you know, at least according to official records, he um, – was two or three from a three-point line, which means that as far as we know, he was a 66% career three-point shooter. I'm going to go with it. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. eat your heart out, Steph Curry, Steve Kerr, right. all you freaking losers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 66%. Let's see you make, a, you know, 66% of your threes. Then we'll talk. Exactly. Okay. Right. I like yeah. it. I like where your head's at there. So Okay. Yeah. Hey, as far as we know. You know? <laughs> right. You prove it. Prove otherwise, right? The onus is on you, person out there, to prove otherwise. So. Exactly. Yeah. Prove it otherwise. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um... So yeah, I just to close things out, just a few um, anecdotes from um, his career. Uh, there's a great one from when he was a coach um, of the Bullets. He thought that Manute Bull wasn't quite giving enough effort. Manute Bull, of course, being seven foot seven, so um, Unselt confronted Bull in the locker room, lifted him off the floor, and jammed his head through the ceiling tile. <laughs> Which, uh, <laughs> Is a uh, is a pretty great visual. I guess you know, like I said, the not many violent instances involving unsold. I guess that would be a notable exception. So. To be fair, though, I mean, even if you just like lightly move Manute Bull up like a few inches, he's going to go through. I mean, how many ceiling tiles yeah. did Bull really break? I mean, is is crazy. It probably was quite a few. Many not intentional as well. So I'm right. I'm I don't know. I mean, it sounds very like very bad. Like oh my god, he lifted him up. But I'm sure Manute at that point in his career was pretty used to you know breaking ceiling tiles. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know that many ceilings uh, were made for men that were seven foot seven. So uh, it's it's a fair point, Rich. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> That's, God, I wish there was video of that. That would just be awesome to see because you know just old West Unsell, a little bit of gray in his hair, just like yeah. ah, damn it, <laughs> like, yeah. come on, man, come on. Get up there. Get up there and get the rebound. You know, here, let me show you. Yeah. So there's a, um, a remembrance from um, WDRB.com. Uh, has a quote from Kevin Grevy that, um, you know, Wes giving a, a speech during the playoffs saying, you know, basically, hey, you know, we all want the championship. Elvin wants the championship. You know, Mata wants the championship. Everyone else should want it. And then uh, Groovy said, and then he looked at me and said, if I found out that anybody comes up with a case of the Georgetown flu, which is a reference to having a hangover, they would have to go see him. And then Groovy said, yeah, I, I was completely sober for six weeks while we had that playoff run. I wasn't going to even, you know, I wasn't going to drink once because I didn't want to disappoint him. I so, like the Georgetown flu. Never heard that before. But that's, yeah, uh, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. You know, see, you got a yeah. college, got a college campus right there in the city. I mean, I, I, I get right. it, but yeah, yeah. I, I like yeah. it. Old Georgetown nice. flu. Nice. Um, turns out when you when you Google Georgetown flu, it just comes up with uh, Georgetown University Health Services <laughs> warning right. yeah. warning people about okay. the uh, influenza. So not necessarily okay. the uh, yeah. But we'll dig into this a little bit more and find out if if is that a common term or maybe Wes's turn? I I, I don't know. I, I do need to find that out. I, so. I'm guessing it's probably common and more common in the area. But uh, but yeah, good question. Curtis lives, um, uh, he doesn't live there anymore. He still lives there, right? Yeah, he does live. He lives. Yeah, in we'll have to ask area, if he's yeah. ever come down with the Georgetown right. flu. So. <laughs> I don't know if he drinks or not, but, uh, you know, he's heard of yeah. it, I'm sure. So. I'm sure he's heard of it, yeah. Um, so, from again, from the Washington Post, um, talking about how 
you know, again, of course, he wasn't a guy known for standout athleticism, but, you know, for things that he would do, like um, he would jump up, g- grab the rebound before touching the, the floor again. He would fling the, the outlet pass down down the court and it would hit the backboard on the other end. He was able to do that with that you know amount of power and amount of quickness uh, before he reached his feet to um, do that. That was really cool. And um, also talked about, you know, just the fact that, you know, he would um, – you know, his knees were so bad with arthritis that he would basically skip weeks worth of practices as well as pregame warmers because really the only time you could tolerate the pain was for two hours of game time. Once he suited up just minutes after ha- having 200 cubic centimeters of fluid drained from um, his uh, left knee. Yeah, I don't know exactly what that is, but it sounds horrifying and I don't want to find I, out how I, much, how many, yeah. how many, how much 200 cubic centimeters of fluid drained from your knee is, but uh, I just, I'll just assume that's a lot. It is. Yeah. So I've had, um, yeah, I've had that much training for my knee before and I did not play a professional basketball game afterwards. <laughs> no, and, uh, Wait, yeah. really? and it's, it's quite a bit. Yeah. So you didn't play professional basketball. Yeah. I, I, I know it's, it's shocking. I, you know? oh, wow. You learn something new every day. Okay. Yeah, that's that's right. what I thought we were doing the show, but that's all right. We're two <laughs> yeah, former, two cool. former NBA players talking right. NBA history, but okay. That's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, Baltimore Sun had a really good piece on, um, on some of the few good anecdotes there. Um, I liked his reaction to being told that he won the MVP forward. He said, it's very nice, but I don't know whether I deserve it or not. So very um, understated reaction from um, unselled um, Ray Scott, who played for the, you know, bolts on the, um, in the uh, uh, early on in his career said that, um, you know, he, you know, is, was the kind of player who would rather pass and score. He made us a smart team, a thinking team. Uh, it also said that uh, you know, we'd full around and wrestle in practice. Once Wes picked up uh, Leroy Ellis, who was six foot eleven, and held him over his head. Uh, it was a strong man's game, but never in his career was there a player stronger on the court than Wes. And he talked about his his approach to defense. Basically, you know, he'd play you know guys like you know Chamberlain, Elvin Hayes, Nate Thurman. The idea was that if I can just push him two feet away from the spot that you know he's comfortable at. You know, they're going to take a jump shot from a place they really don't want to. And, you know, and I'm going to be able to win the advantage because they're going to likely to miss more of those shots than they want to. And then, you know, I'm going to win the battle for the night. So. Right. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, everything everything you hear about him, it was, it was a guy who knew physically that he had his limits, that knew, hey, I'm, I can't fix the fact that I'm 6'6 six, six or 6'7 six, or whatever, but I'm going to play center in this league and I'm just going to be better at the little things than, than the other guys I'm on the court with. And, and it seems to definitely... Um, um, come true, and, and and yeah, you hear these quotes about it. He's really, uh, really studied the game, really art, artful about the the way he approached the game. So it's really cool to hear those quotes. Yeah, and then uh, one more um, story uh, from that same art, Baltimore Sun article. Jack Marin tells a story about uh, that Unsa likes to play pranks, including one where um, uh, when George Johnson was a rookie for the team, uh, the one time West bought bought a rubber snake you wrapped it in uh george johnson's uniform and stuffed in his gym bag and then when george pulled his jersey out he got uh, quite the uh surprise um there i like to think that george johnson got his revenge you know in the um 75 finals because he played for the warriors in the 75 finals so i like to think that you know that uh George was, you know, he he really wanted to get West, you know, during that uh, finals. Right. Know? He's like, I got to get even with this guy. I'll tell, let me tell you what yeah. he did. And it's like, ah, it doesn't sound that bad, guy. <laughs> He's like, no, no, it was terrible. I hated it. So, um, and and we did we touch did we touch a little bit on his coaching and, and GM years as well? Uh, I, we can go ahead and do that. Sure. Real quick. I mean, they weren't good. I mean, that's fine. No. It, it's okay. No. You know, um, yeah, yeah, they weren't that good. So it's all right. No. 
yeah, better player coached, than coach or GM, but hey, yeah, know. I mean, he coached the team from the late from the late eighties into the early nineties, and then was you know kind of executive and, and general manager. I think he was general manager. I mean, I think he, you know he, he was kind of the general manager team president. You know, during I think up until yeah, two thousand three or so. And yeah, it wasn't a strong suit. Not not a great track record, unfortunately. Um, from maybe he just wanted to keep like his era as the best era in bolts. Uh, yeah. I, oh, he did that quite well. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, right. Sure. I mean, it's it, what's weird about that franchise in the history is you go back and look, and there was a lot of talent there. It just never seemed like it all could come together. I mean, there, there's the points where they have Chris Weber and Juwan Howard at the same team. They bring in Scott right. Skiles. You're like, yeah, this team looks like they look really good. The teams you look at them on paper, you're like, that's a really good team. And it's like, nah, yeah. it's really not actually. For some, yeah. for some reason, it's just not a good team. I don't know why, but yeah, you look at, I, it's not like he put together bad teams. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. It just never, yeah. just never could get going for whatever reason during the, you oh. know, the late bullets era. Well, the really weird thing about um, I'm going to pull up the the franchise history real, real quick um, on BasketballReference.com because it's it's really weird how they're not good or bad for like a really long time after you know um, basically '79, which is kind of the last year that they were any good with um, with Unsell, you know. But basically, between um, I think it's. Yeah, but, but between um, 80 and 91, they never lose more than – or well, I guess basically throughout the entire 80s. They they never win fewer than 35 games, but they never win more than 42 games. Right, just like completely stuck in NBA hell. <laughs> just right, never, right. never yeah. getting good draft picks, never making the playoffs, or kind of making the playoffs but getting ousted in the first round. Yeah, never quite there. And and yeah, even you know, it's even true too of of, you know, once after, you know, some real bad times in the early nineties, you know, they, they, they finally acquire some talent. You know, your George Mirasides, your Chris Webbers, your Juwan Howards, your Scott Skiles, your you know, later Mitch Richmonds that we talked about when when they become the Wizards. And there's a brief period there. There's a brief, brief period in, in you know, ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight where they're pretty decent. You know, ninety seven, they make it to the first round and, and they're they're pretty tough, you know competitor in, in that time and then immediately that team gets broken up and then it's another like five or six years until uh really Gilbert Arenas comes and, and and whatnot but yeah you're right they they there was that weird period where he got them like good but not good enough you know just kind of in this weird kind of NBA hell is is the best way to call it where, you, where you're not getting those top picks but you're not really making a sustainable run in the playoffs too and it, it can end up really hurting a franchise for for years to come uh by just doing that every single year and, and they did for basically a decade right yeah no, it's just I, I don't think I've ever seen quite a run like that where for basically 11 years you are between that those thresholds of, you know, not being good but not being bad. You know, it's uh, uh, it's sort of an odd thing. So, yeah. Anything else? I think that's it for me, man. Yeah, this is uh, it was, it was kind of tough news to, to, to wake up to. And obviously there's so much else going on as well that it'll right. get yeah. it'll, it'll definitely get lost in, in the shovel here. But, uh, yeah, West Unsulted guy, all-time great uh, NBA player and, and – you know, I implore everybody listening to this. Just you know, watch some highlights, read up about it. Um, yeah, ask questions if you if you have anything. We're, I'm kind of learning a little bit more about him uh, in these days a, a, as well, and and it kind of sucks that it takes deaths for us to always kind of appreciate guys uh, a little bit more. But I think Weston Sell's a guy that you and I have always sort of appreciated in some form or fashion, and, and in an era that you know the '70s that you and I have always really tried to to you know through the course of this entire podcast history really try to to focus on and 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 give some, you know, insights too. But yeah, hopefully people go and, and, and read about that era, read about what a sun sold, watch some highlights and uh, yeah, maybe can 
I'll take your mind off some stuff for a few minutes, you know. Yeah, exactly. uh, not easy yeah. these days, but uh, yeah, yeah. You know, a few minutes of watching hey, less unsold highlights will, I, I guess, make you feel a little bit better. So, yeah, a beautiful outlet pass can build can you know build many bridges. So exactly, guess, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Is that a good metaphor? Maybe not, but anyway. Um, yeah, thanks everyone, of course, for uh, checking out the show. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Over and Back NBA. Um, we are a part of the Step Back at Fansided.com. And uh, you can find us on um, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are we are either on the platform or if you want us to be on the platform, just uh, tweet us or send us a Facebook message and we'll try to get on there. So th- thanks everyone for listening and we'll be back again soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.